Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so today I'm going to be reading you a Friday Barn story from the fourth book in the Friday Barn series, Friday Barn's The Plot Thickens. And in fact, I'm going to read you the prologue and the first two chapters. I think it's a really good story. I like this one. I like all of them, but I particularly like this one. Now, before I get into it, you can probably hear in the background birds making quite a bit of noise because I am on the second story of my house and there's a tree right outside my window and there are a lot of birds in it right now. There's a currawong I can see that's probably like three meters from where I'm sitting and they're just all calling to each other. It's spring, it's that time of year. So I think it's a nice sound. So it will accompany us today as I read you this story. Here we go. Previously in Friday Barnes. As the sun rose over Highcrest Academy, the entire student body was enjoying their second, and in some cases, third or fourth, helpings of ice cream. The headmaster even decreed that everyone should go back to bed and sleep in for the first two periods of the day, which had made Melanie leap up and kiss him on the cheek. It seemed like the perfect start to a new day on the heels of a very long one. Ian slid into a seat next to Friday. I suppose thanks for in order, said Ian. With a rueful smile, you cleared my name. Friday smiled. You don't have to thank me. You were my client. I did it for payment. What do you mean? asked Ian. The deal was I cleared your name and then you owed me a favour, said Friday. That's thanks enough. I'm going to enjoy having the favour up my sleeve. Hang on, said Ian, starting to get irritated. I saved your life. I found you on the cliff face. You fell on me, said Friday. Then shared my jumper with you, said Ian. You did, said Melanie. How romantic. You didn't tell me that, Friday. You didn't bring a mobile phone or any way of attracting the attention of rescuers, said Friday. She's very particular about acts of heroism, isn't she? Ian said to Melanie. Oh, she's just feeling vulnerable because you didn't just rescue her physically, but emotionally as well, said Melanie. I am not, said Friday. See how red her face is getting, said Melanie. She's embarrassed because I'm speaking the truth. Friday stared at her bowl of ice cream and tried to will her face back to a normal colour. Oh no, exclaimed Ian, what's going on? Friday looked up to see what had shocked Ian. It was a man she recognised. Mr Wainscott, exclaimed Friday, what are you doing here? The last time Friday had seen Ian's father, he'd been yelling abuse at her as he was dragged away by police because she had just proven that he was guilty of bank robbery and insurance fraud. But now Mr Wainscott was completely composed as he calmly made his way across the dining hall, accompanied by a pale, thin man in a grey suit. As he drew close, Friday noted that Mr Wainscott was tall, confident and unnervingly handsome, just like Ian. "'I've come to claim custody of my son,' said Mr Wainscott." Okay, that was the end of the prologue, so now we're going to go straight into the first chapter. 
What's going on here? demanded the headmaster as he hurriedly made his way over to the group. It's perfectly simple, said Mr. Wainscott with a condescending smile to the headmaster. I want my boy back. But you're meant to be in jail, said Friday. You were sentenced to six years with a minimum term of three because you assaulted a police officer while being arrested. Well, I'd hardly call a wedgie an assault, said Mr. Wainscott with a chuckle. But you've got two years left on your sentence, said Friday. I have been completely exonerated, said Mr. Wainscott, holding up his hands in a gesture of innocence. How can that be, said Friday? You admitted to stealing the diamond. I was under duress, said Mr. Wainscott, with a shake of the head. And the diamond was found in the light fitting of your office, said Friday? Planted there by my enemies, said Mr. Wainscott. Well, who would believe that, asked Friday. It doesn't matter who believes it, said Mr. Wainscott. A glint in his eye. My conviction was overturned on appeal due to a legal issue. What legal issue? asked Ian, speaking for the first time. The judge was bonkers, said Mr. Wainscott. His eyes crinkled as he smiled. This clearly delighted him. It was discovered that Justice Hayton had been suffering from advanced Alzheimer's disease for some time, said Mr. Wainscott's companion. Now that she looked at him, Friday realised that it wasn't just the suit. The man was so totally dull that his face seemed grey as well. He had been deciding cases based on where his budgerigar did drop-ins in its cage, Mr. Wainscott's companion continued. And who are you? asked the headmaster. James Archer, said the dull man. I'm Mr. Wainscott's lawyer. Here is the court order instructing you to release Ian Wainscott into the custody of his father. He handed the headmaster several folded sheets of paper. The headmaster flicked through them, quickly scanning each page. You can't allow this, said Friday. What about Ian's mother? According to this, said the headmaster, Mr. Wainscott claims that she cannot provide a fit and proper home. Well, there are too many vegetables, but it's not that bad, said Ian. It's not the vegetables that are the problem, said Mr. Wainscott sternly. What does that mean, asked Ian, looking confused. Your father is alleging that your mother is living with an unsavoury influence, said the headmaster, as he read further into the document. What, said Ian? Oh, no, said Melanie. Being more emotionally intuitive, she was the first to put two and two together. Oh, Uncle Bernie, said Friday in realisation. The headmaster nodded. Ian was starting to look very angry. So he moved right in as soon as I came back to boarding school. How convenient. This is why she's such a poor influence, said Mr Wainscott, with feigned regret. Whereas I will provide you with a home that is a secure, stable environment. But you're a convicted felon, protested Friday. Not anymore, said Mr. Wainscott smugly. Now I am a respectable citizen with a full pardon. Ian is my son, and his place is with his father. But you're the one who sent me to boarding school in the first place, said Ian, looking confused and hurt. And I'm ashamed of that, said Mr. Wainscott, shaking his head sadly. I used to be too career-orientated, but prison made me see the light. It made me appreciate what was truly important, my child. We've lost so much time together, and I want to make up for it. I want you to come home with me, right now. Ian turned to the headmaster. Do I have to? The headmaster frowned. I'm afraid so. The paperwork is all in order, and he is your father. Come with me, said Mr Wainscott. I'm sure the school will be happy to pack up your things and send them on to you. Actually, that's not a service we usually provide, said the headmaster. I'm sure you'll make an exception, said Mr Wainscott, with a steely glare. It would look terrible in the newspapers if I told them you were withholding my son's property. The headmaster sighed and muttered to himself, Just once I'd like to make it through a day without one of the parents threatening me. Come on, son, said Mr Wainscott, as he smiled at Ian. Friday noted that Mr Wainscott used the exact same smile Ian used when he was trying to be charming.
The supernova smile that made his face radiate handsomeness. Mr. Wainscott's charisma seemed to lock Ian in a tractor beam and pull him forward. Ian took a step towards his dad. Mr. Wainscott took Ian's arm above the elbow and started walking quickly with him towards the door. Let me see those papers, said Friday, taking the court order from the headmaster's hands. She started speed reading through the pages. There's no use, said the headmaster. You can't ignore a court order. You don't want to end up committing contempt of court. Well, you might, but I don't. Friday flicked through to the last page, then looked up. We've got to stop them. Why, asked the headmaster. But Friday was already running for the door. Chapter 2. The Real Reason As Friday burst out through the ornamental front door of the school, Mr. Wainscott was sliding into the driver's seat of his car. Ian and the lawyer were already inside and fastening their safety belts. Friday started running down the front steps. Mr. Wainscott started the engine. Friday realised she wasn't going to make it running. Not her strength. So she leapt forward, fleeing herself onto the bonnet of the car. Friday, what do you think you're doing? yelled the headmaster, who had just burst out of the front doorway himself, alongside Melanie. Get her off my car, yelled Mr. Wainscott through the windscreen, so he sounded rather muffled. I'm not going anywhere, said Friday, gripping hold of the windscreen wipers tightly. Call the police, headmaster. This court order is a forgery. It is not, said Mr. Wainscott, getting out of the car. Give it to me. He tried to snatch the court order from Friday, but she pulled it out of his way and stood up on the bonnet so it would be out of Mr. Wainscott's reach. Ian and Mr. Archer got out of the car too. How do you know it's a forgery? asked the headmaster. I've read a few court orders in my time. What, when the bailiffs come because of your gambling debts? asked Melanie. That's beside the point, said the headmaster. The point is, that document looked authentic to me. Yes, but the same can't be said for the paper it's printed on, said Friday. Can't you control this girl? demanded Mr. Wainscott. Not in the least, admitted the headmaster. But generally speaking, while she's extremely irritating, she is a force for good. I will sue you for the damage done to my car, said Mr. Wainscott, and the slander you're allowing her to commit against me. I don't think you're really going to do that, said the headmaster. Friday, get down from Mr. Wainscott's car and explain what you're talking about. Yes, an explanation would be nice, said Ian, getting out of the car. Is it so hard for you to believe that my father wants me back just because your father doesn't want to spend time with you? Ooh, that's a really low blow, said Melanie. Don't judge him, Friday. He's only lashing out because he feels vulnerable. Look at the court order. The font is wrong, said Friday. It's printed in Arial, but all government agencies use Calibri as a cost-saving exercise. It uses 23% less ink, which equates to a savings of hundreds of thousands of dollars per calendar year. This is ridiculous, said Mr Wainscott. She's clutching at straws. I can prove I'm right, said Friday. Mr Archer, may I borrow your lighter? What, said the lawyer? I can tell from the smoky odour of your suit and yellow-stained fingertips that you are a cigarette smoker, said Friday. May I borrow your lighter? Mr. Archer held it out to her. Did you meet Mr. Wainscott in jail? Friday asked. Mr. Archer flinched. Why do you say that? He asked nervously. You're unusually pale and your head is sweaty, said Friday, which suggests you're suffering from vitamin D deficiency from too much time indoors. Add to that the fact that you clearly smoke like a chimney. Not a common habit amongst lawyers, but very common amongst prisoners recently released from a cigarette-free prison. Friday, what are you going to do? asked the headmaster. Perform a simple test on the paper, said Friday. She held up the court order, flared up the lighter, and set the bottom corner of the document alight. Are you out of your mind? yelled the headmaster. I'm proving I'm right, said Friday. Ian, get in the car, we're going, snapped Mr Wainscott. No, Dad, I want to hear what she's got to say, said Ian. The court order was almost entirely reduced to ashes now. Friday hastily dropped the last burning corner when her fingers got too hot. The remnants of the page were just shriveled, pale grey ashes on the gravel of the driveway. She's mad, said Mr Wainscott. 
I'm right, said Friday. Look, she crouched down next to the ashes. The the ashes are almost white. Friday, none of us understand the significance, said the headmaster. Explain yourself. This, said Friday, dramatically whipping another document out of her pocket, is a real court order from the Swiss government forbidding me from ever returning to Switzerland unless I have a valid passport. Friday flicked on the lighter again and set fire to this document. It quickly burned down to a pile of black ash. Good gracious, said the headmaster. She's right. They both looked the same, but their ashes are completely different. It's because of the different carbon content and pH levels, said Friday, which brings me to the final reason I believe Mr Archer is a former criminal, said Friday. He bears a striking resemblance to D.B. Hatton, who was on the most wanted list for many years for forging passports. Ian turned to confront his father. You forged a court order to make me go with you? Yes, said Mr Wainscott. I've missed you, son. I knew I could never get custody through the proper processes. I was desperate. He's lying, said Melanie. Everyone turned to look at her. Sorry, that sounded really rude, continued Melanie. But I know some people find it hard to tell when a handsome person is lying, especially if they're making eye contact. So I thought I'd point it out so there's no confusion. Prison's changed me, son, said Mr Wainscott. I just want to spend some time with you. Come on, we can go camping or fishing or to Disneyland, whatever you want to do. Melanie fake coughed while saying, (coughs) big fib. I want to believe you, said Ian. But that doesn't mean you have to go with him, said Friday. You're happy here. Am I, said Ian. Well, as happy as a sullen teen can be, said Friday. Tell me, how many times did he write to you from prison? Never, said Ian. Did he send you a birthday card, asked Friday. I'm sorry if the prison shop didn't have a good hallmark section, said Mr Wainscott. Actually, I know for a fact that prison shops always supply a fully stocked greeting card section because they realise that maintaining family relationships is key to a prisoner's rehabilitation, said Friday. He's my dad, my only dad, said Ian. But ask yourself, why does he want you to go with him? said Friday. You find it impossible to believe that he might want to spend some time with his son? asked Ian. Yes, I do, said Friday. Don't get me wrong, I think you're wonderful. Aha! cried Melanie. Finally, she admits it. But your father is a classic narcissist, said Friday. He's entirely self-interested. He only cares about what you can do for him. What would that be, other than be his son? asked Ian. Think about it, said Friday. What does your father have a track record for doing? He hides assets. There was a diamond in his shoe, then diamonds in Rocky's dog collar. Are you saying my father has hidden something on me? asked Ian. What, like a surgical implant? asked Melanie. Maybe, said Friday. But it'd be easier for him to give Ian something that he could always wear and carry with him, like a watch. Ian looked at the watch on his wrist. Who gave it to you? asked Friday. Ian looked at his father. Dad did for my 11th birthday. It's the best present he ever gave me. He had it engraved. So is it a Rolex or something, asked Melanie? Or a turn-of-the-century watch worn by a Russian czar? It's just an ordinary watch, said Mr Wainscott. Solid Japanese craftsmanship, but nothing to make a fuss about. Ian took off his watch and looked it over. May I see? Friday took the watch and held it in her hand. She turned it over. The watch was engraved on the back. It said, To my son, Ian, wear this always. Dad. Blast off with Space Vacation the Musical as the Bloom family from the bright yellow planet takes a wild, weird, and wonderful intergalactic summer vacation. With original songs and stellar comedy, their trip goes delightfully haywire. Fun and adventure for all ages. Space Vacation the Musical on all podcast platforms now. 
subscribe today. That's a strange inscription, said Friday. No terms of endearment, no emotional message, just wear this. I'm sorry if I haven't got a term for the sappy phrase, said Mr. Wainscott. So it can't be the watch, said Friday. Thank you, said Mr. Wainscott. We'll be on our way then. It must be something hidden inside the watch, said Friday, with which she took a tiny screwdriver out of her pocket and deftly leave it open the back. Hey, you'll ruin the waterproof seal, exclaimed Ian. It's okay. I'm sure your father will be able to buy you another with whatever jewels he's got stashed inside, said Friday, as she removed the back, exposing the internal workings. She stared at them for several seconds. Everyone else stared at Friday and the watch for several seconds. There was nothing to see, just the simple electronic mechanism of the watch. I don't understand, said Friday. What a disgrace, said Mr. Wainscott. Hand me that right now so I can have it repaired immediately. I can't believe you broke my watch, said Ian forlornly. Friday held out the watch to return it to Mr. Wainscott. And the backing, said Mr. Wainscott. Friday looked down and realised she still had the backing in her other hand. She turned her hand over and looked at it. Stop, cried Friday. Look! Inside the back of the watch was a small reddish piece of paper with a black smudge on it. Give it to me, snapped Mr. Wainscott, lunging for the watch. Friday stepped away, and the headmaster stepped between them. I know she's irritating, said the headmaster, but you can't assault a student. It's just the maker's label, said Mr. Wainscott. It isn't, said Friday. She had her jeweller's eyepiece out now, so she could inspect it closely. Then what is it? asked Ian. The most valuable commodity by weight in the world, said Friday. Ian rolled his eyes. Great, now she's talking in riddles again. It's a penny red, said Friday. A postage stamp. Big deal, said Ian. It is a big deal, said Friday. This is the holy grail of stamp collecting. But who cares, said Ian. Stamp collecting is just a hobby for nerds. It is not, said Friday. Okay, well, actually it is. But it's also the single most transportable form of wealth. Stamp collecting is huge in China. The market for collecting stamps has never been stronger. Look at it. She held up the penny red. It weighs less than a gram. It looks innocuous. You could hide it anywhere on your person. You could stick it on an envelope and post it to yourself. So what's it worth, asked Ian. Friday peered at the stamp again with her jeweller's eyepiece. A penny red is rare and valuable, but this isn't an ordinary one. It's a plate 77 penny red. The plate it was printed with was defective, so after testing it was destroyed. But one of the test sheets accidentally made it into circulation. There are only nine of these stamps in the world, and the last one to come up for auction sold for 550,000 British pounds. What? exclaimed Ian. But that's equal to over a million dollars. And I've been wearing it around my wrist all this time. It's brilliant, said Friday. Your watch is waterproof. No harm came to it. But I was wearing a million dollars on my wrist, said Ian. I'll call the police, said the headmaster. There's no point, said Friday. Mr. Wainscott hasn't committed a crime. He just came to get his property back. And being a bad parent isn't a crime, said Melanie, which is lucky for you, headmaster, because if it was, most of the students here would have their parents in jail, and then there would be no one to pay the school's fees. Unless Mr Wainscott stole the penny red, after all, he did get a degree from Barnum and Bailey Circus Skills University with a minor in sleight of hand. So did you, asked Friday, turning to Mr Wainscott. It'd be easy enough to find out, so few of these exist. I acquired it perfectly legally, said Mr Wainscott. And let me guess, not by paying market value at a reputable auction, said Friday. I won it in a high-stakes mahjong game at a Macau casino, said Mr Wainscott. He couldn't stop himself from smirking with pride. Friday handed the watch back into Mr Wainscott. Here, this is what you want, isn't it? 
Mr. Wainscott took the watch. I would say thank you, but I can't think of any earthly reason why I should be polite to you. He opened the door to his car. Mr. Archer got in on the passenger side. What about me? asked Ian. What about you? asked Mr. Wainscott. Don't you want me to come with you? asked Ian. Mr. Wainscott sighed. Of course I do, but things are going to be very busy for a while. I've got to get the business up and run in again. I need to spend some time in the Cayman Islands. I'd love to visit the Cayman Islands, said Ian. You'd be better off here, said Mr. Wainscott. When I'm back on top, I'll come for you. How long's that going to take, asked Ian. Three months at most, said Mr. Wainscott. He shut the door of his car and pulled away. Ian watched his father drive off. Everyone was silent for a moment, not knowing what to say. Eventually, Friday stepped forward and touched Ian's arm. Are you okay? she asked. No! No, I'm not, yelled Ian, swivelling to turn his fury on Friday. How could you? You just had to grind in every last grain of humiliation, didn't you? My father doesn't want me. My own father tricks me to hide in his money, the same way he hid his money on his dog. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for totally humiliating me and ruining my life. Friday was sure Ian was about to cry. She was pretty sure she was about to cry herself, but Ian stormed off before either of them could start the waterworks. Are you okay? asked Melanie. No, said Friday. Then she couldn't hold it in any longer. She burst into tears. And so the case was solved. Okay, well, that was a bit of a downer to finish on Friday, weeping on the driveway. But that's how books work. You have to start low so you can build to high. And this is just the beginning of the book. So if you want to find out what happens in the rest of the story, get yourself a copy of Friday Barnes, The Plot Thickens. It's the fourth one in the series, or if you've got the Australian editions, the blue one where Friday's holding binoculars on the cover. Um, And what else happens in this one? Oh, there's all this stuff with uh, <laughs> a celebrity artist and an over-enthusiastic PE teacher. Actually, this book, um, book four with the celebrity artist, um, there's a callback to this in the book that I've just written, Friday Minds 11. So um, that was the one coming out in February. So rereading this um, would be appropriate. Anyway, um, yeah. What else? What else is happening? Well, the audiobook of Nanny Piggins 3, Runaway Lion, uh, it's all recorded. Uh, they should be calling me back in any day now to do the pickups to fix all my mistakes. I find it very hard to believe that I managed to record a four-hour audiobook without any mistakes, so I'm sure they'll get me back in in the next week or two, and then hopefully that'll be on sale um, before Christmas. I will let you know to confirm that. Um the Christmas show here in Sydney is sold out now, and the launch of Friday Barnes in Melbourne um, at the end of January is also sold out, which is bad news if you don't have a ticket, but it's good news because ticket sales are so strong, I'm definitely going to be doing Christmas shows in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne next year. At least that is the plan. I'm trying to line up theatres now. So if you missed out this year, don't fret. I will be going further afield next year and I'm going to things like the Somerset Festival near the Gold Coast and I'm doing all my touring with school visits. So hopefully I'll get out there and get to meet as many of you as possible. And of course, this will be continuing um, because I've got the book, the next, the third book based on this podcast coming out next year, I think in August. And that's actually going to be called Bedtime Stories with R.S. Spratt, named after the podcast. 
Um, I, I, as I say, I've just finished the Friday Barnes 11. I just signed off on the final edits, on the copy edits with all the layout this week. So that's the one that's coming out with a book launch in, in, um, the end of January next year in Melbourne. And then also I'm just working on the edits of a, a book I've written about Hamlet, the, the Shakespeare play Hamlet. And it's going to be called Hamlet is not okay. <laughs> and it's about a, a 15 year old girl who struggles with reading. Um, much like I did when I was 15. And um, she has to read Hamlet for school. And uh, when she does, she gets sucked into the play, um, which I've really, really enjoyed writing it. So hopefully that will come out next year and you will get to enjoy it too. So that's it. Um, That's all the news, what's going on in my world. Um, So until next time, and hopefully next time, I'll either be doing a Greek myth or I'm thinking about doing um, one of the stories from the Arabian Nights. So we'll see. Hopefully I'll have one of those for you next week. And until then, goodbye. <music>